Hello everyone, this is Guy Windsor, also known as The Sword Guy, and I'm here today with Siobhan Richardson, a martial artist and stage combatant. I first met Siobhan at the International Sword Fighting and Martial Arts Convention in Detroit some many, many years ago, and we've um, been to the seminars and stuff together off and on ever since. Yeah. So without further ado, Siobhan, welcome to the show. Thank you, Guy. How are you today? I'm very well. Can I say, I just nailed that intro in one take for the first time ever. Yay! <laughs> which, which as, as an actress, I think you can appreciate what that's like. Yes, absolutely. The number of times you have to do a cold read, and you're like, wow, I hope all these words come out of my mouth properly. <laughs> Quite. Okay, so let's just orient everybody. Uh, whereabouts in the world are you? I'm in Etobicoke, Ontario, which is on the west side of Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Okay, lovely. Um, Canada is very well represented on this podcast. <laughs> um, so what made you want to start historical martial arts, stage combat, sword stuff in general? Ooh, so the, the whole kit and caboodle. Um, so yeah, my, yeah. First, my first exposure to uh, Western sword fighting, really, was when I was in, uh, at school in musical theatre. So we mm -hmm. had one of our, our metro d'arm of stage combat here, uh, who is J.P. Fournier, and he came in and taught us a really basic stage sword play for some work that mm -hmm. we were doing, uh, but it's also it's really good for every actor to have a little bit of it. And at that point I went, oh, this is, this is, this is something I want to do. I took to it right away um, because prior to that, I started ballet when I was about four years old. Uh, I studied uh, Chinese Kung Fu in my teens. So I had a bit of a balance of movement precision as well as the ability to use, uh, to use weapons. Um, that's one of the things that some actors have a lot of trouble with is integrating with the props. In fact, dancers mm -hmm. who are really amazing at taking on choreography but sometimes have a, have a hard time with that, that interface between themselves and the weapon. Um, so when I was in musical theater school, it was my first time I held a stage sword, really. Um, and then, but what really brought me into, um, what brought me into historical martial arts was when we were at the Patty Crane uh, International, uh, Patty Crane International Art of the Sword Workshop in Banff, mm -hmm. Alberta. Um, that was in 2006. And that particular year, there were a number of uh, historical martial artists there. And that's the first time that I had actually seen Western weapons being used um, in, in, a, in an accurate fashion, what really made sense to my body. What I found throughout a lot of my stage combat training was that there was something about the choreography and the movement of the weapon that wasn't, that wasn't quite making sense, and I had no vocabulary to understand what it was. I know now that it has a bit to do with the biomechanics weren't necessarily right, or the techniques were being applied to uh, a sword that it wasn't ever meant to apply to, um, and mm -hmm. that our props at that time, our swords at that time, were not well constructed. So the balance was off, and there's a lot that, as a, as a mover from, from age four, there's a lot about trying to execute techniques with the wrong tool and a poorly made tool that my body just railed against. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So then when we got introduced in 2006, 2007 to historical martial artists and, and started holding better weapons and learning more specific biomechanics and more specific stylistic choices, that's when, a, that's when this whole, like this whole extraordinary world opened up to me of the, <laughs> like the excitement and interesting, just, ah, oh, I'm, I'm such a nerd for how bodies work. So, <laughs> um, You'll be both. Oh, so that was, yeah, that was just extraordinary. And so right, right after that, 
um, Brad Waller was holding the, um, uh, the Shenandoah project, uh, which was meant to be for advanced students and for instructors and um, masters to work with advanced students. And I was able to be a, a student during that. And that's when I started to learn more uh, in-depth detail about various mm -hmm. schools of thought. Um, so that, yeah, that's how that, that's how it all got started. So what are your preferred weapon styles? I, I have a few. Um, I love small sword. I grew up doing ballet, so small sword fits into mm. my body in a way that um, sure. makes a lot of sense for me. Uh, I also love long sword. Um, I should hope so. Yeah. <laughs> actually, um, it, could, it could be that the listeners haven't quite twigged to this, that you appear holding a long sword on the cover of my new book. And I'm, I'm absolutely thrilled. I'm, such a, I'm, I'm so honored. <laughs> it, I'm, it's such a delight. It's a lovely picture. I'm very, very proud of uh, it. So yeah. Um, yeah, yeah I, long sword, yeah, good. Yeah, and I love long sword. And funny enough, for the same reason I love small sword, is there's something about the way that uh, a long sword works with the whole body that makes mm -hmm. sense to my, to my dancer brain. And it's not that other weapons don't, but there's just something about the way the long sword moves with, with me, I suppose. Maybe some, some bloodline far back or something that just genetically expresses itself <laughs> or something. Okay. Um, but... Um, uh, I also enjoy uh, some of the theatrical cloak styles that we do. So it's one of the, like, the stylistic differences between uh, historical martial arts and performance what, of martial arts. What's a theatrical cloak style? So um, whereas in historical martial arts, the, the cloak is like sometimes you throw it, sometimes you flare it, uh, wrap it around your arm and use it as, a, as an offhand weapon. Mm -hmm. uh, on stage, we do a little bit more in the way of you could even just call it posturing, but we do a little bit more in the way mm -hmm. of flaring the cloak. So we see a lot of pictures. The audience gets uh, a lot of movement to look at. So then in mm -hmm. choreography, we tend to use the, that flaring action and then perhaps finish it off with a, a parry at the end of it. Or part of that flare, we, uh, we emphasize the, the distraction technique of the cloak right. so that we... We tease out the parts that maybe if you're fighting for your life, you wouldn't do quite as much of. But, <laughs> <laughs> but when we're portraying a story of someone fighting for their lives, but we want to keep the audience interest and we want to help them be inside of that story in a way of um, having enough time for their brains to catch up on what's happening. Mm -hmm. So some of that expansion we can do with cloak really easily because the time of the cloak is the time of the cloak. Whereas um, with, uh, various other hard weapons. Um, there are some things that we do on stage to shorten time and expand time. It's easier to do because the weapon is rigid, as opposed to in cloak. There's um, kind of a, you're a little bit more forced to hold to a longer time sometimes, which is handy when you're trying to get okay, actors yeah, to engage in a particular way. Okay, so yeah, the the movement of the cloak. Once the cloak starts moving, it you can't stop it until it's done. Exactly, you can't push yeah. it through the air faster. Um, right. And that's actually yeah. like one of the basic mistakes people tend to make is they want to like push the cloak through the air. I'm like, no, 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 no. You just, you suggest no. a direction and, uh, <laughs> and let it do its work. <laughs> okay. Uh, so let me just track back a second. You, you mentioned something about the connection between ballet and small sword. Mm -hmm. And I think I know what you mean, but I'm fairly sure that many of my listeners might not. Oh, okay. So do you want to expand on that a little bit? Sure. Uh, so the... Ballet as we know it now is not what it was in its origins. Its origins was Baroque dance. 
Um, so the shapes are very different, but some of the um, like extension, oh my goodness, the extension that people have now where they're going like over 180 degrees, it's just astounding. Uh, whereas in the original movement of that form, it was a little bit more like ornamented walking. Um, but that particular dance style was codified at the same time that small sword was codified in the French mm -hmm. court of Louis XIV. Um, so some of the terminology is very similar. Some of the weight distribution is similar. Um, mm -hmm. In some of the further study I've done in small sword, even some of the, um, some of the basic training, uh, the beginnings of training are done in a very similar fashion. Um, so I find okay. that with a ballet, even a contemporary ballet, um, vocabulary in my body, there's some things about the weight distribution and how your legs work and how your feet work um, in small mm -hmm. sort that make a lot of sense to me. Also like deportment, like the way, oh, people can't see me, I'm gesturing for Guy, but the way, <laughs> the way we organize our limbs in ballet um, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. is actually quite similar in some fashions to, uh, to sword play. So parts yeah, of this make sense. There's lots of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Opening and like arabesque positions in the arms. And I've had a student coming to one of my small sword classes some years ago who, who, whose core art was ballet. Mm. And she came up to me afterwards and said, Guy, do you do ballet? And I was like, I have never had a ballet lesson in my life. <laughs> well, <laughs> and then she started going, oh, yeah, well, it makes sense because, you know, in the 18th century, ballet teacher or dance teachers and sword teachers were often the same person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's, you go, oh, okay, well, of course, because they were complementary art forms. I mean, and right. even down to, like, the way you tilt your head, I guess, that might be a school of thought thing, but um, when, when your hand is in front of you, rather than keeping your head square, sometimes you tilt it to an angle just to make sure it's really protected behind your guard. And we very much use mm -hmm. some of those same lines because they're aesthetically oh, okay. pleasing. Yeah. So that's where, but that's, if you ever watch the, um, uh, I forget what it's called now, but the, in uh, Swan Lake, there's the dance where there's the four mm -hmm. women dancing and the head tilts are even choreographed as part of the, the quick foot okay. movement, um, which is right. sort of a, a, um, a further specialized expression of that little bit of epaulement, the, the, the tilting of the head to keep it guarded, but also the, the beautiful aesthetic line that you create when everything's in alignment. Fascinating. Okay. Clearly, you, you do lots of things. I do. And you, you obviously are deeply interested in all of them. Um, so what does your training actually look like? Ah. Yeah. What do you do? Uh, so um, I have always been very interested in the longevity of the body. Um, starting as a ballet mm -hmm. dancer, there's there's always that impending threat of once you hit 30, your career is done. So <laughs> Yeah, and f at 40 is hip replacements. Yes, exactly. So I've always been very interested in preventative action. So a lot of my workouts, mm -hmm. a lot of my warm-up has to do with um, uh, making sure my feet are working well, making sure my body is um, like the sequencing is correct mm -hmm. um, I do I've got my therabands and I do a bunch of physio exercises I also use Indian pins to to do the, the kind of warming up of the joints and mm -hmm. uh, again making sure everything is working cohesively so my my workouts tend to start in a get my body working um, just as the machine it is and then further mm -hmm. specializing into whatever I care to work on that day so then I will then I'll um, it's, it's a lot of working basics. And for me, this comes out of my, my ballet training. Every ballet class starts with basic foot warm-ups, plies, just bending your knees and straightening them, um, just extending mm -hmm. the foot and bringing back and then scaling up with that. So I find that my, 
uh, my personal training tends to follow that same kind of patterning. So I'll start general and then I'll specify into whatever I, I tend to want to work on that day. Lately, it's been a lot of uh, it's been a lot of longsword. We have uh, recently Glad moved into <laughs> it is my favorite, um, uh, and actually in sword and buckler, I've been doing a lot more. I've got oh mm. man, so speak. Okay, I'm gonna jump around a little bit here. Um, so speaking of the quality of the instruments, as the years have gone on, I have acquired um, better, honestly, better and better uh, pieces, better and better weapons, and sure. one of my most recent. Uh, prized acquisitions uh, is a second hand actually uh, side sword um, so I have been just just loving how it feels my forearms feel great my wrists mm -hmm. feel good and that that interface between the hand and the grip that's one of the things I learned from you was this this idea of like making sure you're actually communicating with the weapon through the grip and how that how, how that interface mm. means um, yeah. The, the Connecting your ground path to the edge. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So I, I, I enjoy doing a lot of that. I'm also one of the very lucky people who has a partner who is also uh, working the same art forms. So there's a lot of partner drills right. that we can do on an almost daily basis. Um, I say almost because... Despite lockdown. Yeah. Just... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Actually. And more so because of lockdown. Before this, I had been doing so much traveling with work. It hit me the other day. I haven't mm -hmm. been home for this length of time for years. Yeah, you and me both. <laughs> yeah, you do a ton <laughs> of traveling too. Sure. Yeah. Okay, so you're, you're oh, and in lockdown. Oh, of course. Sorry, like, just training oh, stuff. Yeah. yeah. So I'll do, I'll do some like basic movement stuff, but I'm doing a lot more in the way of uh, cardio and strength training as well. Just I know my body just, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm happier when I do it. And it amazes me. Um, one day it really hit me just how much that cross training is so uh, so key to uh, improving your art form because everything's working well. You don't have to spend your your craft time working on those foundations in the same way. Right. I you know I, I've lost count the number of times a student, not a terribly experienced student, would come up to me and say, you know, guy, when we come to class in the evening, you're there doing your own training before class. Mm -hmm. We almost never see you holding a sword. Why is that? <laughs> and I'm like, well, the sword is just, it's just the tip attached to the spear. Yeah. It's just the, it's, it's that last little bit, right? Or it's the drill bit you put into your drill. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And all of, all of this, 95% of my training is making sure that, you know, when I attach a sword to my body, then everything is going to work properly. Exactly. And I, I think that's one of the things that uh, I, I wish more actors understood. Because when I come in to choreograph, so I, I perform for your listeners, I, uh, I'm an actor, fighter, singer, dancer, so I'm a performer first, but I'm also a fight choreographer. So I teach other actors mm -hmm. how to do things and, and arrange for stage productions. Um, and that's that idea of making sure the, the, the core of the instrument works better. Uh, I wish that's something that more actors really understood because sometimes when we go in and do choreography, they're... I mean, rightly, they want to get the choreography correct. They don't want to hurt their partner. But they're really focused on the weapon and on the choreography, and they don't necessarily mm. understand the part of it that needs to be um, the weapon as an expression of their intent. Right. But it takes, it takes time for your nervous system to basically incorporate the sword as part of itself. Exactly. Well, that, that's like, the They've done these brain studies. Yeah. Yeah, they've, they've done these brain studies. Like for a, an experienced carpenter, the brain experiences their hammer as, as literally as part of their body. 
I tell my students that right. all the time. Yeah. Right. Because I want and, to. And, and that's, and if you know, you, you, you can always tell an actor who doesn't really connect to the sword properly because when they're moving around on stage or on screen, they're like, that, that's not, that's, no. They're, 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 they're trying to do the moves of an, I don't know, an experienced sword fighter, but it, it just doesn't, you just don't believe it because then clearly not. Yeah, like it always just looks like two props in the air at right. each other. Um, I can always, I, I love that moment when I see a couple of performers who, or a, a performer who, who really understands it because I, I then notice as an audience member, I am watching them and their experience in the moment. I'm watching that character have an experience yep. as opposed to watching a couple props moving back and forth at each other. It's kind of like, like I call it the, the Michael Bay yep. of stage work because you're just, it's like <laughs> shaky cam. I'm like, I'm just watching things happening and I'm feeling stress, but I'm not experiencing a story. Right. Okay. Um, now we all have things we know we ought to be doing more of. Um, mm -hmm. Is there anything that you're neglecting from your own training? Uh, very personally, I need to do a little bit more work on my foot strength. I, I have nine okay. ankle sprains distributed, three on one, hey. six on the other. Yeah. Um, That's so, not good. No. How'd you get those? Um, well, the first one was playing volleyball. Um, okay. Well, that's dangerous. Yeah. That was when I was 14. So that, that's right when I mm -hmm. got like, just when I was getting on point. So just the psychological devastation right. of like, oh, I'll never <laughs> dance again. Um, I did. Yeah. I'm fine. Um, but, uh, and then subsequently it was, um, ugh. One of them was performing a stage combat demonstration with someone who didn't know what they were doing and they twisted when they, like they genuinely twisted when they shouldn't have. So that's when one of the huh. other, yeah. And then one, one, I had two sprained at once at one point. I was uh, rehearsing Eek. for a show and um, it went, it went one and then the other. So I was walking on the slightly less sprained one at that point. <laughs> I'm thinking of the specific moments of like, I'm going to try to sit here and elevate one foot and then try to move myself to the other side of the room on my, on my ball chair, which... <laughs> yeah, it was not ideal. <laughs> okay, so you should be working on basically rehab for your ankles and feet. Yeah, just a just a little bit more detail. I had um, I've been doing a lot of focus on my ankles and calves, mm -hmm. um, uh, but I knew I had a gig coming up that I was teaching uh, theatrical martial arts uh, in Europe. So I was teaching uh, essentially Eastern martial arts unarmed uh, for stage fighters. Mm -hmm. And I knew that I, I love, I love jumping. It's one of the things that I always aim towards. I just, I love being mm -hmm. airborne. Um, and when my ankles aren't doing well, I, there's quite a bit of fear attached to that. So I went to physio to say, sure. look, I don't want to be afraid of this anymore. Um, and I want to get beyond just kind of the repair work. How do we, how do we really make me strong? And at that point, it was pointed out to me that um, it's a little bit about the ankles, but it's also um, actually about the way my pelvis was working. So my glutes weren't firing okay. enough. So there wasn't enough pelvic right. stability. So the ankles yes, were trying yes, to take yes. over for it. Right. Yeah, makes sense. So lately, the last oh, month or so has been more intensely working, like working that, I guess, pelvic carriage and really getting the glutes going. So now I'm just noticing that my ankles have some catch-up work to do. Right. So, okay. yeah. Um, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Uh, do you have a particular person whose work you follow in terms of foot strength or? Ooh, um, I quite like uh, the Franklin method. Um, mm -hmm. It, uh, are you aware of it? I've read up a little, a little bit, bit about it, I've not done it. Yeah, um, so he has a particular like happy foot 
book and uh, mm -hmm. balls of a particular density, uh, full of air, but you use them for a, a lot of the stuff that you that a lot of people who have investigated foot strength are aware of things like doing gripping with the foot and um, working yep. the flexibility and the strength of the foot. Mm -hmm. Why I bought the book is I, I like having a bit of a thing to follow. So that book gave me a little bit of yep. a path to follow as well as um, the balancing aspect. Uh, so by balancing on these inflated balls, it forces the foot to work a bit differently. So it makes things work. And then using a TheraBand mm. around the toes to, um, uh, to work the, the gripping through the toes. So I, I quite like the Franklin right. method for that in particular. And there was another program, I can't remember, it was a very long time ago now, but encompassed a little bit more in the way of like foot massage and um, mm -hmm. kind of releasing some of the tension that gets in our feet from when we wear yep. really blocky shoes all day. Um, so, yeah. I don't. I'm, I'm a barefoot shoe sort of I am person. too now, for sure. I was very sad when my yeah. I had um, I had uh, I was at a military surplus store and I found mm -hmm. the minimalist uh, military boots and I was wearing those for oh, years yeah. and mine finally died and they are they're great. I think they're, oh, love them, but they're not making them anymore. So so I need new winter boots. Keeping my eye out for those, but uh, I'm very happy now that we are quite firmly in summer and I can pull out the whole barefoot shoe yeah. wardrobe of which I have several. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I went on the Very website good. and got some um, pretty swanky, uh, like saddle shoe, leather, barefoot shoes. They're, they're very lovely. lovely. But yeah. I feel pretty swanky when I wear them. Okay. <laughs> good, good, good. Um, yeah. Just, just uh, in, in case you haven't come across her, are you familiar with Katie Bowman? I'm not. I'm gonna look her up right now. You might find her. She has she has fantastic stuff on biomechanics, and um, she she has some really interesting sort of quite approachable foot exercises things which which I've used. Um, I mean, the interesting thing about buying her book was it's obviously aimed at women and trying to persuade them not to wear high heels anymore. Oh, and see, I've never been I've never been a high heel kind of guy anyway. Not even when you're so, doing small well, maybe maybe doing small swords, okay. but but it's not the heels. It's not the heels I do the small small sword for. No, I'm I'm more of a kind of handmade brogue sort of a chap. Right. Oh, um, very nice. Yeah. <laughs> but they don't make those barefoot either. You can't get a really good proper marriage between a barefoot shoe and kind of a handmade brogue style. I I found uh, we were at a, a farmers market in Calgary, Alberta, uh, and for people mm -hmm. who are not really aware of Canada, that's. You could say that's where the cowboys are. Um, uh, okay. So good leather. And we found a guy there that was making like handmade shoes. Um, mm -hmm. So that's that's one of my dreams. I, so my husband got some uh, handmade shoes. I would I would dearly love to invest in for myself like a custom made mm. pair of shoes. That's on the bucket list. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I seem to remember yeah, I, that you've got you've got quite an interest in shoes. Well, I I have I actually go shoe shopping to relax ah. it's like and i know when i was in melbourne i my host scott nemo lovely chap um understood me very well and took me to rocco's this is before it closed which is handmade italian shoes made to measure but like two hundred dollars yeah right as opposed to two thousand dollars that 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 makes no sense <laughs> It's yes, exactly. It's no one. It's no wonder they went out of business. So I have this lovely pair of I have this lovely pair of two tone, um, sort of brown and cream. Um, the things they all of these shoes they have heels, and I can't justify the mechanics of a heel. It's like 
I, it's just, it's like smoking a cigar. <laughs> yeah. Right, yeah, exactly. It's like smoking a cigar. It's like, it's heaven, but, you know, it's for very occasional, you know it's unhealthy, but you do it anyway because you love it yeah. sort of thing, as opposed to every day. Yes. Right, so every day I'm, I'm, I'm barefoot or barefoot style all the time because mm -hmm. there's just no good argument against it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I do have my nice yes especially collection of you know put, put it this way I, I have more shoes than my wife yes nice I respect that <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you get the questions I get I get all the barefoot shoe questions of like isn't that like isn't it weird having things between your feet and between your toes and like well okay I, I avoided I avoided the five finger shoes oh for a long time oh. right? I, 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 I got into barefoot through medieval shoes of course right yeah. I was in Verona attending or I, was, I was going I was visiting some friends who were um, coming over from the States to take part in the tournament of the white swan in Verona right. so I thought well, this is a great excuse we managed to find a babysitter to take the children and my wife and I went to Verona for four days it was heaven <laughs> right? and I realized I hadn't used my my medieval shoes for ages and I was gonna have to wear them all day in medieval gear at the at the event because they're very sort of they're very keen that no one goes into the sort of reenactment area if they're not dressed properly. Right. Right. So I, I brought my medieval gear, whatever. So on the streets of Verona, that on the Saturday night, I thought oh, I better just make sure the shoes work. Mm -hmm. And I went out, and they'd been I'd had them for ages, and they were worn super thin and super flexible. Mm -hmm. And they were. It was. It was like I turned into a cat. <laughs> it, yeah. was, it was. Not the slightest bit slippery, not the slightest bit uncomfortable. It was just glorious, mm. right? And so then after that, I just didn't wear any other shoes except these medieval shoes. And of course, I wore through the soles in like minutes, yeah. right? And then, I don't know, maybe, so then I got new medieval shoes and then I looked into the barefoot stuff. And then eventually in a shop in Edinburgh, I thought, do you know what? I just have to try these things on. Yeah. So I went in and I tried on a pair of the five finger things. And, you know, the medieval shoes turned me into a cat. Yeah. These turned me into Spider-Man. Oh. <laughs> I kept jump. I, I just, I just kept jumping on rocks, like walking through the park. Anyway, I was just like jump onto things because you can. Yes. And yeah. And yeah. you get this little like. And the only reason I don't wear them, yeah, go. yeah, they're <laughs> fantastic. And the, the only reason I don't wear them more often is that you, you have to wash them every day, or mm. they stink really quickly. Yeah. And because my my feet are very narrow, the toe socks that you can wear with them mm -hmm. don't ever fit my feet properly oh because the, the because basically you get almost like a straight line of toes and i need them closer together and more kind of you know Arc. more sh shapes so the little toe is much further back on the foot than the big toe right and and so they just don't fit the socks don't fit properly so the shoes i can't wear the shoes with socks and so oh yeah um so it's you know, I just realized that no one, no one tunes into this show to listen to me. They always listen to my guests. And here I am rabbiting on about toe shoes. So you're, I'm, I'm fascinated. Like, ooh. But so here's, here's a quick thing about shoes. Um, in fact, I'm just, yeah. I was, um, my Instagram feed is, of course, like full of ballet stuff as, as well as all the other stuff I do. Yeah, sure. Um, so it was talking about point shoes. And as you can guess, mm -hmm. point shoes need to be very specifically fitted. If, if you or any of your listeners sure. have not ever gone into a point shoe store, You'll just be astounded at the at the range of of sizes and styles and um, but it was talking very specifically about like 
essentially your toe organization. I wonder, I wonder, how, and um, uh, toe organization and uh, I guess common common arrangements, I suppose you could call it. Yeah. I wonder if and when uh, some some barefoot sock specialist will will jump on that. I feel like that's a little bit niche at the moment, great. but it wouldn't it though. I know a bunch of people who's yeah. like, I would try it, but th- it's the wrong size, the wrong shape for my foot. So it's it's always weird because right. my toe is never actually in in the in the toe house. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, since we're talking word. about sho- shoes and equipment, um, now uh, equipment is a big thing in in swordsmanship. Mm-hmm. Obviously, mm-hmm. you know the the weapons, the protective gear. Mm-hmm. I imagine in stage combat you tend not to use so much in the way of protective equipment. Uh, but what are your what, what what is it like equipment wise? How do you feel about masks and gauntlets? And if you have an equipment rant, now's the time. To <laughs> reach it. Oh, uh, breast protectors. Um, okay. Uh, I haven't been doing as much uh, martial arts at um, uh, at conventions and such lately. It's been more on my own study, so I have. Uh, again, because when we do it for stage, we don't tend to have protection while we're on stage. Mm-hmm. So I don't interact yeah. with them as much. But last time I was looking for a protector, it was either like, it's just, it came in two sizes, small and big. And that's completely inaccurate to the various kinds of torsos that are out there. Yeah. So um, there was a time when I was seeing a lot of ads for custom made protectors and that's how I was like, oh, I'd love to get on that. I just, you, you need them. And oh man, the first time I went to, so next thing, uh, Gorget's, the first time I went to a tournament and saw a point slip under the bib, as a singer, yeah. I was <laughs> terrified. And I went, holy shit. But also as a human being, you need to breathe whether you sing or not. You know, yeah. Crush the uh... airway, it's not good. But yeah, okay. <laughs> so singers, maybe they're particularly... So here's, so we, we talk, we, as we were preparing for this, we talked a little bit about like the differences between studying swordsmanship for performance and studying swordsmanship for mm-hmm. uh, self-defense and, and as a craft of its own. Um, and yeah. one, of the th- one of the things that I'm always aware of as someone who designs violence for stage is mm-hmm. the psychological effects as we go. So when we're choreographing, sure. when we're putting things together for stage, it's not only about what's the ideal my character is trying to achieve, um, but also like what is happening in that situation and how does that affect me psychologically? And while in martial arts, our aim is to like release that and focus on the moment in storytelling, it's actually a really essential element for us to think of what are the psychological effects of, of what's mm-hmm. happening. And, um, uh, I think it was Philip Dorleon who first really pointed this out to me to, to break the fingers of a runner is not the same thing as breaking the fingers of a piano player. That's right. So, so that's, I, and I bring that up because of that, of, of course, as a human yeah, being, yeah, yeah. you need that to feel the breathe. But yeah. man, that moment but of like, oh, the terror, the terror. And that's what happened when I first sprained my ankle, that moment of, oh, I will never dance again. Inaccurate. But, you know, that, that moment of, what if something happens to my voice? Mm. Yeah. Um, crazy. Uh, equipment rants. Oh, you know so what? So, are there good are there good gorgets out there? That do you have a preferred? Uh, I I don't because I uh, in my training I tend to stop short of actually going into tournaments. Um, 
right. haven't gone down the rabbit. I started going down the rabbit hole and went, oh, wow, there's a, there's a lot here. <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh, I have not, I've not gone deeply into that rabbit hole, but uh, something that I could rant about is uh, uh, swords and what's being made well and what isn't being made well. And the absolute mm -hmm. delight of um, finally having items, having weapons that are better and better balanced um, mm -hmm. seemingly every day. When I first started, um, when my first contact with uh, stage combat weapons and sort of there by martial arts weapons, not until later really, but um, was just how, how, and I didn't have the vocabulary at the time, but just how poorly weighted they are, the really old ones. Like we keep a couple around now mm. to, to show people, you know why they did it like that is because this this was the inaccurate equipment they were working with. And the delight of, yeah, yeah. oh man, just like a, a steel although, rod although with a I've, handle on it. But I've, I've actually handled historical original swords too, that yeah. handled like a steel rod. Oh, that were just, they okay. were just horrible. And others that just, they just magically attach themselves to your hand and the point just effortlessly goes where you want it to go before you even know you want it to go there. Yes, so that's right. more the experience I've had. Um, yeah. Well, uh, yeah. In, in well, most most people who are like handing out the weapons to handle <laughs> will give you the nice ones. Yeah, exactly. Well, right. um, in 2009, I got a Chalmers Arts Fellowship from the Ontario uh, Arts Council. So that was a grant mm -hmm. that allowed me to travel around and travel around the world a little bit and uh, study okay. various martial arts and especially with mm -hmm. particular application to performance. Uh, and during that, I went to Leeds and I went to the Wallace Collection. Uh, again, for oh, listeners yes. who don't know, yeah, wonderful places to go when you're in London and in the near area um, and had several hours of being able to handle pieces. And that was, I think that was one yeah. of the first times, I think that was the first time I actually got to handle um, historical pieces. Uh, and of mm -hmm. course, the curator is, is going to give you the, the absolute best versions. And oh man, just like... My body sang. It was so, <laughs> it, was, it was, yeah, yeah, kind of a transcendent moment of like, it's just, it's just going. It's and, just there. Oh. Yeah. It, oh. It's one of those things where, where people ask me, why do you do swords? There's, I know I'm talking to somebody who will never understand it. Hmm. Right? Because somebody, what you just said about you pick up the sword and your body just sang. Yeah. That's that's how sword people are, mm, right? Yeah. And I think it's I think it's intrinsic. I mean, for some people, it's like they I don't know they get behind the wheel of a Maserati and they ah and their yeah. body just sings. It's probably the same for them. I don't know because um, you know I drive a Nissan Micra because <laughs> right? I care about swords. And I don't really care about cars. Yeah. But I think there's a similar sort of. I think for us sword people, mm -hmm. that's that's like the defining feature. Mm. Yeah. That we are drawn to that. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's what I experienced yeah. even in that first stage combat lesson was there's something like there was something already yeah. going, mm, this this makes sense. And, exactly. You know, I'd, I'd done some weapon work um, in my Kung Fu years. Um, uh, and and I always sort of I always sort of put it up to, well, I hadn't experienced it, experience with it from before. But it's not till this conversation that I went, no, no, no. But there's just also something in in me where this movement makes sense like i have uh i wouldn't call myself a violent person like i don't go around beating people but i love 
martial arts and I love the physical mm -hmm. expression. Um, I, and I love that interplay. That's one of the reasons I do it is there that the intensity of that communication and as a, uh, from an actor's perspective, that moment of us being in, in perfect communication with each other and perfectly present to what's happening. Um, and the, and it's, it's about being perfectly present and not about perfect repetition. When some people aren't doing stage combat well, it looks mm -hmm. great, but there's something missing. It's because they're repeating it perfectly by rote. Right. As opposed to really being present yeah. to the moment and just the little changes that happen in the moment. Um, and then as a it's the essence of live performance. Yes, exactly. So to lock it into it's, like this is the perfect repetition is, is antithetical. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then my, my, some of my proudest martial arts moments is when I find that, but with the, <laughs> I don't care about you <laughs> part of it. I actually have to, so here's the thing. <laughs> when I go from performance to martial arts, in performance, I am deeply invested in taking care of you. I am deeply invested sure. in putting this where you need it, in um, giving you a cue so that you know you remember where the next thing is company. And I, I cue your body yeah. to go, you're supposed to go here. And that's something that I do when I'm performing is I make sure that I know my partner's choreography because I, I need to make sure I'm cueing them subconsciously. Yeah. Um, whereas when I'm then looking to work my martial arts, I, I, I do less caring about putting this where you need it. I actually have to shift my mindset for my intent. Yeah. yeah. I had the same thing with dance, right? Okay. When I was in many, many years ago, I was, I was single mm -hmm. for a short while. And I thought, I'll go take a tango class because I've always liked tango. Mm. And, you know, and I'll probably meet women there. That would be great. Yeah. Right? And I did meet women there, but they tended to be sort of in their 50s and, you know, not available in any way. And anyway, I was like 30 at the time. So... <laughs> Um, so the, so I just kept going cause I actually liked the tango. Yeah. It was like, oh, this is great. And you know, and I could pick up the choreography quite quickly because I've got a martial arts background. I've learned forms and stuff. It's so, yep. um, yeah. And so, so, so the teacher would be like, you've never done this before. Guys. I was like, no, but you remember that thing we did from last week? I went, yeah, you mean this one? I went, That's amazing. I said, well, I practice at home. He went, you practice at home. <laughs> went, yeah. But anyway, there, there, was this, there was this key moment when, you know, because tango's got lots of dips and twizzles and, you know, basically the man tends to be directing the woman around and yeah. she's doing lots of, lots, lots of, of kind of... listening and replying and... Right, mm -hmm. right, right. And I've done martial arts and I've done riding, okay? Mm -hmm. And I realised that tango, although you're holding a person in your arms, is much more like riding a horse than it is like wrestling. Yeah. And I didn't actually have to put the person into the position. I simply had to give the, the lead yeah. or the signal and they would then do it. Yeah. And when I cracked that, I became a lot more popular with the ladies because <laughs> I wasn't throwing them around anymore. <laughs> 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 yes, that's awesome. I yeah. enjoy that very much. Yeah. Oh, man. I do love wrestling. I do love being thrown around a little bit, but I can see how if I'm in my, my high heels and looking for yeah, a it, social dance, <laughs> it'd be a bit... Right, yeah, you, you, don't, you don't actually... when It looks like you're doing a hip throw, but you're really not. No. Yeah, you're suggesting... And I, I had to... Exactly. And yeah, it took, took me, it took me uh, maybe two classes to figure that out. And when I reckon, oh, it's, it's riding, not, not wrestling, then everything went a lot better. Right, the gentlemanly arts. Yeah, it's that, it's that... How important. But it's, but it's, it's, that, it's that communication. Yes. 
right? Yeah. There's stage combat, tango, whatever, are fundamentally cooperative. Mm -hmm. And a martial arts contest is fundamentally non-cooperative. So while the movements may be identical, the intention behind it is completely different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. like, I think one of the days when I, I've, I've had a few moments where I went, oh, that's what that is. That was one of those moments when I went, oh, I, I, I get it now. And another one of those, like something in my body and something in my mm-hmm. brain that just made sense. And I, I had one day that I just kept hitting people. And I went, what? Where? Where am I? What did I do? Because, of course, before that, I, I was being hit incessantly because I was a learner and I was new. Um, so like that was one of those days. I just I figured out these two things work, and I'm gonna do that. And I don't care where you are. I'm just gonna put this in your way, and you're gonna happen to walk onto it. I'm gonna move my arm like yep. this, and if you happen to walk into it, that's not my fault. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, that 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 doesn't fly in a stage combat class. No, that, no, that is no, that is speaking of antithetical. Um, but that yeah, so so in a stage combat class, it is so much about practicing your it's so much about accuracy and precision but also like ease and receptiveness uh, a lot of people try to get their accuracy and precision by by forcing something into a spot mm-hmm. but that's when that's when they're, they're not they're not listening so they're not able to respond to their scene partner um, uh, and I like to it seems that it shouldn't be an advanced skill but it seems like that becomes an advanced skill because you end up doing a lot of um, if someone is coming at you and they're not quite sure what they're doing or they're moving only in their own pace. You end up doing a lot of like, okay, I'll, I know I have to abandon that early in order to find this and coach you into the mm-hmm. next bit or, or move with you into the next moment. Uh, yes, but so that's why on stage, um, we really, something I've, I've learned about teaching stage combat. So essentially teaching martial, art, martial arts as a collaborative form is how much it is about those foundation like the mindset some people focus only on what body shapes am I making and also just the positions mm-hmm. I'm hitting but it is so much about when you're talking to actors um, engaging what that thought process is and what is the kind of listening they're meant to be doing and so engaging engaging those skills they already have of like blocking and countering um, Mm-hmm. Which, uh, in a stage, in a stage perspective, is how are you balancing the visual picture of who is spread out where, on the stage, and how are sure. you in, how are you responding in physical space to each other on a grander scale, and helping them understand that we're now doing that, but but in the two meters between us. Um, mm. So yeah, it's so much about the mindset, whereas a lot of people focus on the physicality only. Yeah, because it's the obvious thing. Yeah, yeah, and that's what you sort of you think it is, and. Um, if you haven't, if you haven't, if you haven't done it, I don't know. I won't. I won't. I won't pretend to guess what the reason is. But um, yeah, without without that inner substance, it's it's also just not the essence of performance. We go to performance to see truth, and truth might not be realistic, but we're looking for the truth of that experience. I've always thought of performance as um, uh, a allowing the audience to live vicariously. So we have to present it to them in a way that they can actually live with it as opposed to just showing them a thing or doing something for ourselves. Acting is inherently for the people what? in that way. It's exactly the same when teaching a class. Yeah. Right? Because 
Okay, if I'm demonstrating a technique in front of a class, mm -hmm. nobody else in the room will do that technique yes. exactly the way I do it. Precisely, yeah. Because they're a different height, their pelvis is a different shape, they have a slightly shorter sword or longer sword or whatever, and they're not me. Mm-hmm. They right? have lived what but you've if lived, I can yeah. But if I can show them the feeling of the movement mm -hmm. and they can pick up what it should feel like when it's right, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. then when they do it, it looks beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, and you can you can pretty much always tell a beginner because they're trying to remember the the kind of the technical sequence that they've just seen, mm -hmm. and the more experienced students are just absorbing the whole thing that they're looking at, mm. and they're not they're not they're not they're not you know it's like learning a language, yeah. right? When you mm -hmm. first learn a foreign language, and you, somebody is speaking to you in that language, you get one word and translate it, and the next word and translate it, and the next word and translate it, and then you look at those three words together and you go, now what does that mean as a whole thing, and <laughs> da da da, right? Yeah. And it's just, it's, yeah, it's all it's broken up into bits. Yeah. Right, but when, when you're familiar with the language, then that phrase, you absorb it as a whole phrase, and you know, the nuance of it, and, and the connotations of it, and the tone of voice in which it's said, and all that sort of stuff, you're absorbing the feeling of it. Yeah, and I love that you've yeah. you've said that um, during my Chalmers Arts Fellowship, during my fellowship, um, that was kind of the point that I was trying to understand. I knew that I knew there was something to that idea of of movement as language, um, and then when I did that study, that's when it finally made sense to me. That idea of uh, swordplay movement really is about learning a language. You're learning a physical language, and mm. Uh, so that's a lot of language I use when I'm fight directing is to, to help actors uh, understand that it's not about the individual moves. It is so much about um, it is so much about about the intent and about the response that the yeah. audience perceives. Just like it's never it's not it's not really about the words that you say. Of course, if you've got beautiful words and you've got well crafted words in a, in, with great grammar and in, in a good order um, in a good order. That's that's a fantastic phrase there. Um, <laughs> then the, the what you're experiencing is going to be of a different level than if the text is not so well written. Um, similarly, if your choreography doesn't make sense, your, your likelihood of giving a, an amazing show is not as high as when the choreography is, is excellent and, and well expressed and suited to the actual mm. performer. Um, but in the end, it isn't actually about how awesome the moves are. It's about how well no. they're expressed. Unless you are doing like, if you're doing 32 fuetes, if you are doing like, this is an amazing move because it's an amazing move. But you have to, to my, in my right. understanding, you have to recognize that you're doing that as a virtuoso, check out this instrument, check out this expression. Right, it's like a cadenza at the end of a... Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But it is so much about the experience. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh <laughs> We could we could talk all day, but yes. um, all right. So let's <laughs> let me let me just let me just let um, uh, me start bringing this gently to a close, or because I'm sure the the listeners have things they need to get on with, like you know looking after children and right. working for a living and stuff. <laughs> so um, I have a couple of questions I like to finish on. Yeah. Um, and the first is, what is the best idea you've never acted on? Ooh, I feel like I have a, I feel like I have a lot of them. Um, uh... Wow, I know you, you you did prep me for this question, but I, I now I'm like, oh, what was it? Um, hmm. 
You don't have to have anything. It's no. just most people do. Yeah. Like you know, some people, it's like there's a book I should be writing, or oh. uh, other people, it was a specific um, policy they they should have f um, followed up on in their school, and they're now going to go and and apply that policy because it's going to make the school better. Or just just like you know, we all have these ideas that we know we if we just went on and did them. Yeah things would be good. Yeah. Well, so I, so in, in that way, I have a couple of them. I think because of the way my life has been able to work out, there's a lot of great ideas I've had that I have actually acted on. So I have very mm -hmm. few in the way of, ah, oh, that thing I missed. And I'm actually in the midst of uh, one right now where I'm like, oh, gone then. I'm doing this thing. Um, or, What's the thing? What, um, so uh, if your listeners are aware of what's happening in theater and, and the Me Too movement and such, you might be aware of this new thing called intimacy direction, um, where we choreograph okay. scenes of intimacy as opposed to just letting people improv it and essentially Is make Is that what they were doing before? Oh, yeah. I don't know. Oh, my God. I guess you didn't know that. Um, rarely were they choreographed. No, I'm, I'm not an actor. Was, yeah, so you just sort yeah. of watch and go, oh, a thing is happening. I guess they do like they do everything else. Um, uh, right. Right. Uh, I always assumed that they were very carefully directed. Uh, no, some of them were. Okay. So this is not to say that everyone's okay. always been doing it improvised, but some of it was choreographed. Uh, a lot of it was, here's some space, now try the thing out. Um, so now that's there's freaky. a... <laughs> it's a, Oh, that's, that's a whole other rabbit hole. Um, but what's happening now is that the understanding that it should be choreographed and there should be parameters set in place um, is uh, is the industry understanding. So that's been um, that's been what I've been doing for the last couple of years. Along with that, um, to me, includes this idea of respectful workplaces uh, in the arts industry. Mm -hmm. There is a lot in the way of power dynamics. A lot of people doing work that maybe they're not entirely comfortable with, but they 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 want to work. So, so they do it and they challenge right. themselves and some people are, um, uh, some people get traumatized by the work that they've been asked to do. Uh, some people sure. are like, are, are, have been able to find a level of challenge that is useful for them. Um, so along with the rise in intimacy direction um, and the understanding that our workplaces need to have certain agreements in place so that everyone is mm -hmm. confident to do the best work they can do. Uh, I'm paraphrasing a, a Canadian director, Peter Hinton, uh, but he says a rehearsal or our workspaces need to be a safe place so dangerous things can happen. Otherwise, they're a dangerous right. place where only safe things happen. Um, yeah. And that idea of what, what is a safe workspace um, is deeply partnered with the intimacy work because it's very difficult to be as vulnerable as performing scenes of, of sex and sexuality um, if you are not confident that your workplace is one that supports you. So that's, um, that's what I've been doing a lot of work on as well is not only helping the world to understand the specificity of what is intimacy direction and intimacy coordination, but also uh, how that dovetails, how, where that Venn diagram crosses with respectful workplaces. And um, that includes a lot of like, some of it is as seemingly simple, simple to say as um, having conversations, uh, being able to say to somebody, oh, that was, that's not, that was, that was a little uncomfortable. Um, or uh, no, that's, that's a boundary for me. You can't touch me there, but you can touch me here. Being able to have those kinds of really mm -hmm. specific but important conversations and some of it goes as far as um what do we do when there's like a conflict um and for me there's something 
I don't know, it's, it's one of the bees in my bonnet of how, how do we spend time and space together in a way that is respectful and joyful? So we, we are inclusive of everybody in the room. I'm, not, I'm never looking to put a cap on the fun. It, it is absolutely about still having fun, but mm. it's also being able to have a conversation if you're like, ooh, that, that didn't work. But, but without safety rules in place, you can't have a sword fight with your friends. Exactly, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's the rules that create the safe space in which the fun can happen. Exactly. So the rules don't stop the fun, the rules create the space in which the fun will occur. Right, when we know where the fences are, we know where we can run around. If there's no fences, we're not exactly. sure if we're running towards the cliff or not. Right, Yeah. exactly. So yeah, so we've done it with, in some ways we've done it with physical work, or we haven't, um, mm -hmm. but where in some ways a new thing is empowering everybody to, to be able to have a conversation. If it's like, ooh, that's like a, that's a mental health barrier for me, or a um, boundary for me, or that's, um, that's a conversational boundary, that's a language boundary, because you're using language that I, I don't know if you understand the origin of that, but let's, let me give you an offer for another, another word or terminology instead of that one you've used, which is, actually kind of deeply offensive um, <laughs> um <laughs> okay uh yeah but as far as i don't know other other big ideas i enjoy sewing and there's part of me that goes oh I, I i could have gone a lot further with my my cloak sewing business uh insofar as my you had a my cloak cycle. sewing business yes i and i still do it but it's, it's more know. yeah um so i make cloaks it started with cloaks for stage because i was finding speaking mm -hmm. of equipment that wasn't accurate I was yeah. finding it was ridiculously difficult to find cloaks to fight with. And I went, oh, why don't I just make one? <laughs> so I started making them and selling them at stage combat conventions. And I've, uh, I've actually okay. brought a couple to martial arts conventions. You make them differently for stage and for martial arts. Dimensions are different, the amount of What's weight you need on them. Uh, martial okay. arts, they tend to be heavier. So I tend to use, like, tend right. to use more velvets and, and heavier materials. Um, whereas for stage, I tend to use... Uh, something closer to canvas it's a little bit lighter but still catches the air so we get the flare that we're looking for because for stage we're yep. moving it around in the air a lot more as opposed to martial arts right. where it's less about flinging it around the air and more about stopping a blow right interesting you're not getting okay. that <laughs> so, so that's so that's that's two interesting ideas that you've actually acted on so okay yeah. oh. I think you've answered the question to everybody's satisfaction yeah oh and, and a book uh, of course yes. I'm also someone who's like should have wrote that book ah oh, should have done that podcast what um, what what books should you have written? Um, oh, there's there's like five of them. It's ridiculous. Or should you be writing? Should be should I be writing is a very good question. Uh, the Actor's Guide to Stage Combat. There's a lot of how to teach it, how to fight, direct it, and very little in the way of for actors. Ah, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah. So all of that like prep that I do for myself and my own perspective on how do I act these scenes um, is included in that. I it's stupidest thing. It's I've got the outline. I just have to sit down and. Give my gift myself the time to write it, and I know, guy. I know <laughs> you've got lots of words on this because I've I've also read your your collected works on getting things done. Um. Uh, okay, all right. <laughs> okay, well, just for people who don't know, I, you I should read that thing. Okay, I I will. I'm not going to say a word. I am just going to trust that should you ever need any assistance, you will you will be sensible enough to get in touch immediately. I would yes. Yes, absolutely. Good. Okay. All right. But I, you know, the absolute worst thing you can do to a writer is pressure them to write the next book. I mm. think. Yeah. So yes. But sh should you ever decide that that's the thing you want to do, then then I'm sure everyone listening will be going like, "Oh, I'd like to read that," even mm. if they're not an actor. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, last question. Yes. Somebody gives you a big chunk of money, 
million dollars, million pounds, something like that, yeah. to spend improving historical martial arts worldwide, what would you do? Mm. Uh, I would make excellent equipment available to everybody uh, at mm -hmm. a reasonable price. Such as? Um, I, would, uh, I would make some of the foundation body work, like to prepare your own body, available to everybody mm -hmm. so we can get people started off on a better foot so we have fewer shoulder injuries and fewer neck injuries that are caused by virtue mm -hmm. of just having bad alignment. Um, yep. Yeah, I mean... How would you do that? How would you do that? How, how would the money help you do that? Um, <laughs> uh, putting education out there and also like getting paid for the work I'm doing. Um, as, as a okay. career artist, there's a lot of great stuff I can do. I'd just like to be able to eat at the same time. <laughs> what you mean exposure isn't sufficient you know like really? uh hello that, visa that doesn't, doesn't... can i pay my bill with exposure i can't uh, <laughs> right <laughs> yes yeah however i mean that's when we get into business practices right like i'm sure you and i could have a sure. long conversation about entrepreneurship um and are using a freemium sure. model and bloody bloody blah, 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 blah um uh yeah great equipment uh bodies how oh how the money help um yeah, good production values and uh, the research to get it to the right people would be part of how the money would help with that as well, okay. like getting it in front of people. Also, giving people the tools. Um, so I know a lacrosse ball is simple, but there are many people out there who don't have accessibility to stuff they want to do because maybe they don't have the time and they literally don't have the money. Maybe they are eating peanut butter all week. Um, sure. And if this is some little thing you can do to alleviate that, Amazing. Uh, and a lot of people, I mean, assessments. I would love to give everybody a, uh, a session with, uh, with a physiotherapist so that they can have a professional look at their bodies and say, um, here mm. are some little adjustments you could make in your body that will, will help it work, work better. I love the idea of people being able to move until, uh, until the, the day they die for some strain, for whatever reason that is. But for one's body to be functional, that's, you know, that, that's, that's my mortality so, issue. You know, is I just want to be able to move. <laughs> most, most of my private students, yeah. right, on their first, the first time they come to me for a lesson, we almost invariably end up spending an hour getting them to have just to walk properly. Yeah. Yeah. So their knees mm -hmm. stop hurting so they can then do the thing. Exactly. It's, it's yeah. Bad, bad mechanics is the curse of modern life I think right it's like picking up a trumpet that doesn't work and trying to make it make music like just make sure the valves yeah. are, are oiled and and then you're gonna sound amazing <laughs> I mean, well I actually do play the trumpet a little bit and no I don't sound amazing so <laughs> just oiling the valves isn't always enough but it's certainly a good start <laughs> all right well thank you Siobhan it's been a lovely conversation and um, is there anything anywhere you would like the listeners to go find you on the internet um any any last words you have for sure so uh you can find me on instagram and uh at at fighter actress um mm -hmm. and my website is www.shavonrichardson.com um so that's s-i-o-b as in boy h-a-n richardson um uh, those are the easiest places to find me. And then from there, okay. uh, if you need to get in touch with me directly, um, uh, you can direct message me on Instagram and you can find my contact info on my website. Cool. Oh, and if you okay. want to see and me I'll, move I'll around I'll put all and of stuff, those links in the... Great. <laughs> uh, 
I was gonna say, yeah, I'll put those links in the show notes, obviously. Yeah. And if you want to see me move around, I'm on YouTube, uh, youtube.com slash actor SR. And you can see a couple of videos of my demo reels up there. Okay. And I'll put that link in the show notes as well. Great. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Siobhan. Thank you, Guy. Thanks for hanging out. It's great. I hope you enjoyed my conversation today with Siobhan Richardson. And remember to go along to guywindsor.net forward slash podcast for the episode show notes and for your free copy of Sword Fighting for Writers, Game Designers and Martial Artists. Tune in next week when I'll be talking to Thomas Suazo about traveling through Europe, making armor, things like that. Subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcast from to make sure you don't miss that episode. See you next week.